Hello and welcome to Sign Up for Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today, I'm excited to welcome Stephanie Wong. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Darko. Thank you so much for having me today. Great. Thank you. So yeah, please just go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. So I am currently a developer advocate at Google Cloud and help lead some of the go-to-market strategy and the online content side of things. If you are not familiar with DevRel as a position or an organization, what we do is we empower the developer community or other technical practitioners, and we create content that helps address their challenges. We also provide feedback back to product to hopefully improve the product with more actionable insights based on what we hear back from the dev community. A little bit about my background, I actually started in sales as a sales engineer. I learned most of everything I know about technology while working in that segment and working with customers primarily, at which point I eventually got recruited to Google, started building content and making videos for customers and developers on the side, sort of as this side project while I was there, and eventually got asked to join DevRel to do this sort of work full time. In terms of my technical background, I'm actually more of a generalist, which has really empowered me to become more nimble in creating content and serving the various product owners that exist at Google. So rather than focusing on a particular language or product, I have more of a bird's eye view across products so that I can really be able to create content that can merge concepts and create narratives that can speak to a wide audience. Great. Thanks you for sharing that. During this time that you spent in this DevRel position, and I hope that you're enjoying it, why do you think that uh, online content is something which is a future for developer engagement and learning in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it's become more apparent, especially with COVID, that online content is a way to truly maximize reach as a company to not just your consumers, but also your technical audiences that are building upon your platform. I was reading a stat the other day that Cisco had projected that video will comprise about 82% of consumer traffic in the US in just a few years. And even 87% of companies are now using video for marketing compared to 63% in 2017. And of course, I'm sure you know, a lot of this is driven by millennials and Gen Z and a lot of the upcoming social media platforms, including YouTube. But when it comes to developers, you know, developers and platform architects are the ones who decide which applications to migrate, what to target next for digital transformation at their companies. And as an audience, they increasingly just refuse marketing fluff and demand very quick information that can solve their particular issue. So I'm sure you know that reading technical documentation just does not cut it for them. You know, you can ask yourself when the last time you truly wanted to read a very lengthy, dry piece of documentation. So more and more developers need high engagement and free open source information, even if it comes from a private offering or a platform or someone like Google, for example. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, the people who started my team, I was one of the first members of this particular team, that instead of focusing specifically on a language or a piece of technology, like most developer advocates do, we all came together as people who were very passionate both about technology, but also about how developers consume this information, how we learn together, and how we offer free, openly available information for everybody to increase their knowledge base. 
Hey everyone, Sanford has published an open source book called CI-CD with Docker and Kubernetes. It combines just the right amount of best practices and practical advice for shipping cloud-native apps. Download your free copy today at sanfordci.com. While you were talking about this, you mentioned that the video is one of very important mediums which kind of took over and change how we consume information. But there is also a large amount of material which is served, you know, in front of each one of us. So what are your experiences? How do you adequately distill that information into pieces that are like, you know, easy to consume and not, as you said, a dry, long, boring pieces? That's probably the hardest part about what I do as a developer advocate. And this isn't, you know, how a lot of DAs work. You know, a lot of them traditionally have created content that are in the forms of lengthier talks, which is totally fine. You know, if you want to go in a deeper dive level of information than a talk, a session, a webinar, a meetup is very appropriate for that. I think if you are creating video content, people's attention can be shorter. And I'm sure, you know, when you are watching videos, you can lose engagement with your audiences faster. So the first thing you want to think about is how you can distill a lot of that technical information into bite-sized pieces of information. First step is to think about who your audience is. Are you targeting, for example, a data scientist versus a data engineer or a Kubernetes infrastructure operator or application developer? Maybe it's a database admin or an architect. Their needs can intertwine, but you must truly think about the story you want to tell because you ultimately need to serve their interests and their challenges. So I'll give you an example. I was writing a video series called Kubeflow 101, which is a free and open source machine learning platform for enabling ML pipelines and orchestrations on Kubernetes. And I had to decide whether it was the needs of the data scientist community versus the data engineering community that I wanted to focus on because you ultimately are going to tell a little bit of a different story. And there is a slight nuance in that. You are responsible for building an end-to-end data pipeline, but maybe as a data scientist, you don't want to know all the superfluous details of the pipeline. You just want to be able to deploy your model and know that there's support for your favorite ML framework and then just start doing predictions. So, you know, that's step number one is asking, who are you targeting for this video series? And is there a narrative arc that can string together all of the topics? And then step number two is sort of taking all of the existing documentation and material that you have and start to put the pieces together, put together a table of content across, let's say, 10 episode topics you want to cover. And for us, it was simply, you know, how do you get started with Kubeflow? Because it wasn't as clear in documentation. And, you know, we wanted to make the road to getting started much easier. And then, you know, we just covered how you can get started, how to understand its architecture, how to deploy a notebook and walk through some examples. So the key here is don't go too in the weeds, at least for video. And then you can use that as a starting point to create additional forms of that same information. So you can then do a follow-up, doing social media campaigns. You can create a podcast about it. You can use it sort of as a launch point to create micro pieces of information from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for generating a general interest and giving people high-level overview. And as you said, there are always, you know, additional materials where people can dive in. As you said, as you were, you know, picking the target audience and assuring that you have content for them, how do you verify that you kind of made it, that you achieved your goal? I'm thinking about it. Is it like maybe just by 
checking if the comments are relevant on the video series or do you have any strategies to ensure that you kind of fulfill the target that you want to achieve? Yeah, I think checking comments is huge. And it's sometimes difficult because you don't always get feedback on what you're creating. Sometimes people are super engaged, but they're not adding comments, or they're not liking the video necessarily. But we try to track as many metrics as we're provided. So you know, how many subscribers did we gain from that one video, because it does tell you on YouTube, or the comments, the general engagement, we try to be more engaging with our audiences by commenting and actually answering their questions when they ask them via the platform. And then just one point of clarification from my last comment is that there are forms where you can go deeper into content or deeper level technical information in a video. I think it just depends on the style of video you want to create. For me, I like doing bite-sized pieces, but you can definitely go more in depth and do an entire, let's say, live stream or live coding of you, you know, walking through a demo that you built, for example. So there are definitely appropriate examples of that too. But yeah, you really just want to make sure you're understanding what your target goal is for the video series or the podcast or whatever you're creating or the blog post even. And then in terms of knowing that you're able to target your audiences adequately, much of our goals consist of, you know, evangelizing an idea of a theme, right? So for example, many of our video series cover migration to the cloud and explaining all the various routes that you can do that. And so one thing we try to focus on is meeting our developers or our technical practitioners where they are. And this can kind of include the priorities of, you know, infrastructure architects or cloud architects, system architects, data engineers. It can target more than one persona. You just need to make sure that you're creating a feasible path for them to migrate and explain both the concepts of migration and make sure that the application development teams have the means to seamlessly move their applications to the cloud using these existing and new tool sets. So this can mean like using Kubernetes engine, or if we're talking about Google Cloud Anthos, and allow them to understand the tools that can enable them to do that. So really, it's just putting yourself in their shoes. And most of the DAs today have been in their shoes. There's this certain expectation that you know, you have understood their pain points and that you can really be able to target their challenges in a meaningful way. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. There is a potential that the content will get outdated relatively quickly. I think that you said you focus on a topic more than a specifics, but do you have maybe any, any strategies when creating content, how to make sure that it doesn't get outdated in, you know, six months or a year? How do you handle that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that is a challenge that we face because content is inevitably going to become outdated. And that's just part of the process. I think at Google specifically, it took a while for everybody to come on board with the idea that creating video content was more beneficial than disadvantageous. So it's definitely something that took work to establish at a company of this size. But If you think about just the amount of advocacy we're able to achieve using video, it definitely outweighs any sort of downsides of creating it. I think also if you think about the audiences and you as a consumer of online content, you are fairly forgiving when it comes to things becoming outdated. You know that the video or the piece of content or the blog post was created two years ago, then you're going to know that, okay, that's probably not the most up-to-date information. And there must be something that's come out sooner. So, 
yeah, and just in terms of how we perceive the content, I think we understand that it can be outdated. And then most of the time, that's why we want to link to documentation, right? Because those get constantly updated by those technical writing teams. So it's really important to make sure that you have links to dynamic documentation and materials that people can point to and look at for the most up-to-date information. Many times we don't always get it right. Sometimes there's small little hiccups in pieces of content where people correct me. And, you know, I just take those immediately and fix my piece of content and thank them. And it's all sort of this community-based thing where, you know, we're not blaming others. It's a blameless community, hopefully. And we can be forgiving to one another to update pieces of content when we feel the need to. So it's sort of this open ecosystem. And I think we can continue to improve the way that we do it and point to other pieces of material that are most up to date. Hey, I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you that Sanford has a new book out called CICD with Docker and Kubernetes. If you are looking to deploy cloud-native apps, it's going to show you the most productive way of doing that. And the best of all, it's free. Download your free copy today at sanforci.com. On your journey with creating this content, what are maybe some of the challenges and solutions also <laughs> that you can share with us that maybe can help other people who are in the same area of work? Yeah, I think if you're not as a company in this area of work, I definitely think you should be. <laughs> you know, you're able to reach such a vast majority of people, but I think one of the biggest challenges of creating online content for developers is being able to for me at least connect the dots across products and keep up to date with the rapid product releases that we encounter. So keeping up to date with the fast-paced nature of quick releases. This can include, you know, all of the serverless products that we come out with all the time, Cloud Run. I work on security products. I work on Kubeflow and machine learning and partner ecosystem products, and then our continuously updated new support for frameworks and languages. So that's the biggest challenge as a DA, at least on this scalable content team, is just constantly consuming a vast amount of information and being able to quickly distill it into a new piece of content. Because my team specifically has come out with hundreds of pieces of content in a year. Just a lot. It's insane to think about. And the reason why we do that is, you know, we want to come out with high quality content, but it's really important to come out with a very frequent number of content throughout the year because you want to grab the attention of your consumers and your developers and your technical practitioners. So to do that, you need to constantly be iterating and coming out with new things. So the biggest challenge there is <laughs> just learning as much as possible and then immediately be able to apply that information, even if you don't know anything about it prior to creating that piece of content. Something else I focus on is live events. So if you are in DevRel, traditionally, a lot of people go to live events, whether that's meetups or virtually. And so for me, I've built online content strategy for live events to better target developers and tech practitioners. And that meant enveloping an incredible amount of information and aligning priorities between Google's executives, our product teams, our marketing teams into this cohesive program. So for example, when I was writing for Next on Air, which is our largest annual conference, I had to synthesize the needs of product marketing, engineering, and our tech teams to lead these content strategy across eight different areas. And that's like serverless, app modernization, containers, machine learning, 
Suite, which is now called Google Workspace, into this three-day content program that would target both our tech practitioners and business decision makers. So it's not easy, but it's a challenge that I truly enjoy doing. And if anything, you just have to be comfortable with iterating very quickly and failing fast, which is, you know, a startup mentality. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you laid out a couple of challenges that um, obviously come with um, a large ecosystem and generally the company of a size of a Google. But in terms of creating a team focused on developer relations, can you maybe give us an insight into, you know, the structure of your team and what are some key roles? Yeah, so DevRel at Google, for Google Cloud at least, is comprised of a few different roles. So developer advocate is one. And then we also have developer programs engineers. And we have a number of other roles like program managers and other managers in the org. But as I mentioned before, developer advocates focus on outreach to the developer community. We're constantly doing talks, meetups, writing, and so much more. And so you're sort of the front facing person to engage with the technical community that you represent. Developer programs engineers do some of the same work, although many of them focus on working on client libraries that support their particular products. So they might be a little bit more hands down in code and creating various demos and working on these client library support. And then our project managers help organize these programs that we develop constantly with our developer communities and make sure that all of these events and programs are a success. We are like a company of like uh, 25 people and generally in the startup SaaS world, like several teams uh, tend to be smaller. So yeah, it's new to me that you consider engineers who are developing libraries for, you know, languages so people can integrate with a part of a developer team, which, you know, makes a lot of sense. It's just that I kind of structured it in my head a bit differently. Yeah, I'm sure it's evolved over time at Google, at least. And I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but I think a lot of the SWE organization at Google focuses specifically on production code. So if you're not working on production code, then I think they decided to potentially segment it in a different way. So I'm sure it's changed a million times, <laughs> which often happens at a big company. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Great, thanks for sharing that. How do you come up with uh, new ideas? Is it like a brainstorming session in your team or it differs based on the work that you are doing? So what are the ways for engaging developers that uh, you come up with? We have to constantly push the boundaries of how to reach developers. We're all people scouring the internet for things to watch and information to consume and to learn. And it's a great example of when your passion for technology can cross over with your favorite pastimes and your hobbies and your passions or shows that you watch. So as a content creator, I ask myself, how can I tap into both my passion for technology and content so I can engage my audiences, not just for a developer persona, but also for your persona at home? So for example, when I was creating a series called Season of Scale on how to build uh, scalable architectures on Google Cloud, I thought of like, okay, how can I incorporate something that's really relevant during COVID? And I realized that like Animal Crossing was a really big 
game that gained massive popularity during this time. So I incorporated that as a theme in my videos, although I had to change the name and what it looked like. So I didn't get sued, of course. But, you know, just thinking of like fun, creative ways so that, you know, it's not dry information or videos that you're watching. Another example that my teammate did recently was she wanted to do a drawing series where, you know, you're actually watching these concepts and being drawn out on the screen, sort of like a light board when someone's whiteboarding. So she created a series on how to explain technical concepts by creating an animated series through drawing. She also created a comic book series. I created a video on data center security where I actually visited a data center and brought viewers in and showed how Google secures its data centers through six layers. And I noticed that a lot of the existing material was very outdated and some of our other competitors material could be a little dry or cold or seem very like they wanted to feel more enterprise right when you're talking about data center security so my approach was more how can we make this more lighthearted, fun and personable and not fall into the standard way of talking about enterprise security so yeah just kind of pushing the boundaries and how you can take different segments that you see in your day-to-day life. If you watch news or you enjoy interviews or you take inspiration from podcasts that you listen to, or you want to become an influencer on TikTok or Instagram, like that can happen as a developer advocate. I know plenty of people who have amassed hundreds of thousands of followers becoming the sort of tech influencer online by leveraging platforms like TikTok and Instagram and talking about their particular passion area for technology. Yeah. A spark of fun in every of those content pieces is very important because, yeah, our day-to-day jobs in this uh, also remote world (laughs) tend to be like sometimes a bit boring. So it's always great to add a piece of that. So developers who are maybe thinking about getting into, you know, several positions, what piece of advice would you maybe give them and what they can expect and how their lives will change? And I would be glad if you can share something like that with our listeners. Sure. A lot of developer advocates and people in DevRel come from being a software developer, a SWE, and they just want to pivot over to becoming more external facing because they like to leverage their public speaking skills. They really enjoy engaging with the developer community. And so that's definitely a path over to DevRel. Although I will say that I came from an extremely different path, right? I came from sales. I kind of just fell into this niche where I could do video production and merge my two passions there. But I would say definitely you want to make sure that you enjoy engaging with the community and you have a passion for that particular, let's say, language or product. You have experience in that and you learn how to communicate and write, right? A lot of DA positions require you to constantly come out with blog posts, walkthroughs, courses, tutorials, talks, travel to many countries across the world to do these talks. So writing about your passion area for technology is important, communicating and being able to build bridges with other organizations, developer communities, right? You want to be very comfortable building bridges across organizations, teams, and working across dev communities across the world. One other thing I will say is you should try not to be married to a specific technology. A lot of the times within a DevRel career, you will switch what you're working on. I think that's the beauty of it is being able to 
change what you're working on constantly. And my team specifically, I'm changing that every five seconds. But in some DevRel teams, you are focusing on one product for a year, and then you can switch to a different piece of technology, especially at Google with such a large number of options. So being very nimble and agile in what you're working on and being able to learn in public and also teach as you learn. As I've said before, I'm constantly consuming new information about all these various segments. I need to be able to apply it immediately. So you want to make sure that you're able to learn in public, learn with others, and then teach others as you learn, encourage one another. And in order to transition into DevRel, just start acting like you're already in DevRel. I think that's probably my number one is if you're already a SWE, if you're already in sales like I was, or if you're even in a different part of the business, just start acting like you're already a DA or a DPE and just start building pieces of content and putting it out on your own personal blog, because that's actually often how employers find you and hire you because you're already a star in that area and you already have a personal brand in that area. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Great, great. You said that you're coming from sales and I saw that you also spent some time in customer success area. And I would say from my, like, uh, let's say part of my personal story is that one of the maybe easiest way to get engineers to talk first with customers is through that, through, you know, jumping on some call, which could be like a sales call or could be a customer success call, just to maybe figure out some nasty bug that for maybe, at least in our case, for majority of developers is the first time that they, or the easiest way to engage with customers and other teams. And as you say, like saw the value of building those bridges between companies and people. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Actually, we are now always having developer advocates on calls with customers because the customers value that point of view, especially coming as a developer. Many of those people at the company are making the decisions about which piece of technology or architecture to build. So having a developer advocate on the call is so important these days. Yeah, yeah. That developer-developer relationship always works better than the salesperson and developer relationship. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, great. Thank you, Stephanie. I think that uh, our listeners will enjoy what we have shared and the advices that you gave around getting generally into the role or gold. Thank you so much for joining us and good luck with content creation. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun today.